let's pray again. I want to pray um, for Ukraine. And um, I don't know that I need to say this, but I'm just going to say it anyways. Um, as far as Ukraine, as far as um, political kind of things that we do here in the church, you know, oftentimes I'm, I'm, not, I'm not taking a side one way or the other. You know what? The, the, the war in Ukraine is ugly and people are dying and there's Christians in Russia. We have missionaries in Russia. We have missionaries in Ukraine. We love them. We want to see the gospel go forth in all of these places. I don't think that um, the Ukrainian president is an angel, and I don't think that um, Putin is an angel. Matter, matter of fact, I actually think Putin is a player and a pawn in, the, in, in Satan's plan for the end times. And so, um, but when we talk about it, when we pray for it, you know, there's there's war terrible, and, and there's Christians, and there, and the other thing, not only is there Christians on both sides, there's lost people on both sides that need the gospel. And that's our vision here. That's our heart here. That's our hope here is that we want to share the gospel and to pray. Uh, and the reason why I brought it up was because, you know, I've been, I've been talking about Ukraine and bringing it up and praying. And, you know, somebody accused me of taking a political stance on one side or the other. And um, I thought, well, that's probably a rare opinion, but maybe somebody else has it. So just to clarify that, you know, we're about Jesus here. We love Jesus. But also, biblically, we are going to deal and, and cover current events when they happen. And if we study the book of Revelation, that those things are important. The Bible says for us as believers that we're to be watchmen on the wall. And the Bible says that if, if, if an invading army comes and the watchman on the wall doesn't um, alarm the people that are behind him, that, and, the, and, and the enemy invading kills the people, that the blood of those victims is on the watchman's hands. And that's an analogy for us as believers when we know what the Word of God says and we fail to, to warn people that, that the blood's on our hands. So we're going to be watchmen on the wall and we're going to, we're going to call those things out when we see them. Amen? Amen. And then also, um, as I pray, you guys can just be praying as well. Um, but we have a couple prayer requests here in the church. We'll just, the Lord knows what they are. We have a family that had surgery and uh, another family who has a young person who was just diagnosed with cancer. And so um, pray for the family with cancer, the family with surgery, and then maybe you have something going on in your own life you could be praying for as we pray. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, so much, Father, for this day. Lord, we lift up to you first the war in Ukraine, God. And we pray, Father, we pray, Lord, for um, Lord, all those, Jesus, that are, that are just in harm's way. God. We pray for your safety. And we pray for courage, Lord God. We pray, Father, for um, those that Christian missionaries in Russia and in Ukraine, God, that love you and are serving you there, Father. We pray that you pour your spirit out upon them, Lord, and just give them um, supernatural opportunities, Lord, as people are, um, Lord, just hurting and, and they're looking for hope. And there's always hope in the gospel. There's hope in Jesus. And I pray, Father, that um, that hope would go forth. We pray, Lord Jesus, for uh, for safety, Lord, and for those that are in harm's way, Jesus, those that are praying for um, provisions and food and those things, that you would provide those things. Father, I pray for uh, far-reaching ministries and Pastor Wes Bentley and, Lord, this missions team that they're putting together. They're going to meet on Wednesday. Lord, we pray for that meeting on Wednesday that, God, your Holy Spirit would be in that place or that your Holy Spirit would, would speak to our hearts about what we're to do. I pray for our own church and how we're to be involved in the mission to, to Ukraine, Lord, financially, if we're supposed to give financially, if Lord, we're supposed to go, if we're supposed to send. And, God, that you would speak clearly to our hearts. And, Father, that you would raise up, Lord, generous gifts from this church, Father, if that's your will, Lord. And, Father, that you would use it. Lord, I pray for uh, this family who's, who's had surgery in our church, Lord, and just pray healing over them and over the situation and just your blessing over them, God. And, Father, we pray for um, this young man who's recently been diagnosed with cancer, Father. And, Lord, his family's hurting and, and they're broken, Father. And, 
victim, Jesus, just real pain, Lord Jesus. And so, Father, we pray that by the grace and the mercy of your Holy Spirit that you'd be poured out upon this family and upon this young man. Lord, we ask for a supernatural healing by the Holy Spirit, God. And, Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse number 1. We kind of covered some of this last week. We'll catch that in the recap. But verse 1 says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Somebody say amen. Do you guys long for heaven? For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be with them, and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then He who sat on the throne said to me, Behold, I make all things new. Everybody say, all things. Even this bald spot on the back of my head? All things. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You know, people are afraid to die. You know anybody like that? You know anybody who has a genuine fear of death? And normally the reason is because they don't know where they're going to go when they die, or they don't know what happens to them. I I think kind of intrinsically, even, you know, the world, we we have this understanding and this belief that there's something outside of this world, and that's why he's afraid to die. If we didn't agree or believe kind of somewhere inside of us that there was something beyond this, we, we would really have no fear other than, we wouldn't just want to disappear into nothing. But we know because God's created it in us. But for us as believers, we need to know that heaven is real and that heaven is literal. And we need to encourage folks and give folks hope and, and, and encourage people in the hope of heaven. And that's what it is today. Last week we talked about out of Colossians chapter 3, the eternal perspective. Remember that eternal eternity rope example that I gave last year? That eternity goes on and on and on forever. And the part of it that we live in this life is very minimal. And that we should use this life to invest in the next. And instead, so many times, we work so hard in this life, you know, for, for that little last 10 years, 20 years, where I can retire and travel or do what I'm going to do. But, but really, the, the Bible says for us to have an eternal perspective, to live with our head in the clouds. Have you ever heard anybody say that if you're, you know, some people, they're too heavenly minded, they're no earthly good, their head's stuck in the clouds. Well, that's the farthest thing from the truth. You can't be too heavenly minded. But I'll tell you, as, as we're called as Christians to have this hope of heaven, that, 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 that it's to motivate us, it's, it's to remind us. Do you know that the Bible is um, very thorough, especially in the New Testament, regarding the term reward? Do, do a search in your concordance on the word reward. Pull up reward, and then bring up all the verses in the New Testament where you find the reward, and, and start going through it. Seven times, just in the Sermon on the Mount alone, Jesus either directly or indirectly mentions to motivate us the idea that God has a reward for us. 
you know, I've heard people say, or, you know, you've heard it said in Christian circles sometimes, like, maybe somebody's so holier than thou, you know, that, oh, brother, I just serve Jesus, whether there's a heaven or not, I just, I just love Jesus. Yeah, like, like no, I'm, I, if there was no heaven, I, I don't know that I would be motivated. Heaven does motivate us. It's supposed to motivate us. It's supposed to be, because the Bible talks about it so often in the terms of reward. And this hope. And then, you know what? I spoke with this family who's, who's had a, it was a grandma I spoke to, who had a granddaughter, who was a grandson, who was diagnosed with cancer this week. And it was radical. And they're, 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 they're having a hard time. And, and that pain that, that we feel in this world when those things happen, we, we, we need to translate it, take that. And it should translate in our lives that we long that much more for heaven, for God to set things right. You know, hell is the same way, right? Hell, hell can be um, somewhat of a motivator for us because we, we don't want to go to hell. When I was in the world, I, 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 I called myself a Christian. I wasn't born again. I never went to church. Nobody in my family was, but, you know, my friends were Catholic. I knew I wasn't Catholic, and so I said, oh, I'm Christian. And, and I had kind of an idea that I knew I didn't want to go to hell, and, and I believed in heaven. But you know what? The idea of hell and heaven, it never motivated me to, to want to walk with the Lord or to change my life. It was, it was a, a, a serial concept, but it didn't really carry the weight of really motivating me to live every day for Jesus. Because the Bible says ultimately, do you know what motivates us to live every day for Jesus? You know, we don't do guilt trips here, right? And we don't do like the whole idea. And, and again, I think we should have a healthy respect for hell. But hell doesn't motivate you. It doesn't work, really. Guilt trips don't work. I can lay a heavy guilt trip on you guys today. You know how, you know how long you'd feel guilty? Until you hit the parking lot and push the key fob on your car and decided what you're having for lunch. Because the guilt trip wouldn't last to motivate you. But the Bible says it's the love of Christ that motivates me. It's the love of Jesus that compels me. When I got saved, I was, I was in L.A. I was addicted to drugs. And nobody in my family was Christian. I had a, I had a couple distant relatives that um, were, were believers, but nobody in my immediate family, nobody I didn't go to church growing up, and my brother sold drugs in the neighborhood, and um, he was older than me. He told everybody in the neighborhood he'd beat them up if they ever, he ever caught them giving his brother drugs, and that worked for a while. And then, and then I got to the point, so I started a lot later than a lot of my friends in the neighborhood, and big brother looking over me all the time. But there came a point where I started to do what he did and not what he said. Because ultimately, the people that you're raising up, they're going to do what you do, not what you say. And I ended up completely addicted by the time I was 20 and lots of, lots of junk going on in my life. And, and I, uh, I, I gave my life, life to Christ, miraculously alone in my room. I was watching TV. And those days, um, if you're my age, I'm dating myself a little bit. Have you, any of you guys remember Madden on Sega Genesis? Anybody? couple of you. Madden 92. I played Madden until my fingers, you know, were cramped. And so I'm playing Madden. And in those days, you had the TV on Channel 3 for it to work. I don't know why Channel 3. Nowadays, it's inputs, right? But it was Channel 3. So my, I turned my, my, my game off, and, and I grabbed the remote, and I click up to Channel 4. And the TV goes to Channel 8. I don't know how or why it skipped seven channels, but on channel eight was a guy by the name of Dr. Charles Stanley, and he was preaching the gospel. And, and in the state that I was, I was probably coming down off drugs in a bad position. I probably would have never listened to this preacher or even stopped there for a minute, figured out what was going with my remote, and tried to find my way to Sports Center. But for whatever reason, something stopped me that day, and I started listening for a minute. 
And a minute turned into about 30 minutes, and I listened to this whole message. And halfway through the message, I'm getting upset because he's talking right into my life. And, and I want to know who told him everything about my life. And how does he know exactly what I'm going through? And how does he know the pain that I'm feeling and the struggle that I'm in? And the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. And at the end of the message, he said, if you want to ask Jesus Christ to come in your heart and be your Lord and Savior, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And I'm bawling by this point because the Holy Spirit is getting a hold of my heart. And, and I, 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 I held my hands and I'm shaking a little bit. And, I'm, I'm, and I asked Jesus to come into my life. And, and the power of God's Holy Spirit came in my life that day. And I know that day I was completely delivered from the sin that I was walking in. And I had to get out of L.A. God had spoke to me very clearly that I can move you out of L.A., but unless you change your heart, you're going to be the same person in another location. You can change your location, but that doesn't change your heart. You have to change your heart to change your location. And God was changing my heart, but nonetheless, I needed to get out of the place I was in because of that influence of what was going on. And I moved to about two hours outside of L.A., a place called Hammett. Friend Jason Habertape, who's our missionary to Georgia, I moved in with Jason. And Jason had, had recommitted his life to the Lord about a year before I did. And so I'm going to a little Calvary Chapel in Val Vista, Hammett, California. And uh, I got a job there. Jason and I got an apartment. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm still coming to Christ, but I'm not walking in the deliverance and the forgiveness that God has given me over my old life. And at times, and I was doing good for weeks, and then I'd get a weekend off, and I would go to L.A. I would drive in my car back to L.A. on Friday, and I would end up in the same spots that I left, and the same people doing the same sins, the same drugs, and I was going right back to it, and I was struggling. And then I would come back to, to Hemet. On one of the trips back to Hemet, as I'm pulling back into Hemet, I'm, God, the Holy Spirit is beginning to convict me, and, and I... Um, I had turned my radio off when I left Hemet on Friday, and now it's Sunday night, and I'm coming back to Hemet. And we didn't have any Christian radio stations that I knew of anyways in L.A. If we had them, I didn't listen to them. But in Hemet, my radio was tuned to K-Love or Air One or one of the Christian radio stations. So I turned the radio back on after being off all weekend, and it's an old Larry Norman song. And, and the first words when I turned the radio on, it says, The sun has come, and you've been left behind. And I began to bawl, and the Holy Spirit, I was scared. I thought, oh, that was the word, and, and I began to bawl. And then um, I was going through this phase. It lasted about six months. And, 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 and into this phase, about six months, a really cool thing happened. The Lord began to wake me up about five in the morning. And I wasn't a morning person, and, but I would be awake. And I knew the Holy Spirit was calling me to pray and spend time with Him. And I was getting up in the morning, and I was spending time with the Lord, and, and God was speaking to me. And I can remember I was telling the Lord, Lord, I'm such a hypocrite. Lord, Lord, have you seen where I've been? And God would say to me in those moments early in the morning, He would say, I love you. And I would say, Lord, how can you love me? You saw where I just came, Lord, why don't you kill my dog or let me break my ankle or something and we'll be even. And the Lord would say, no, I love you. And I had this concept that God had to punish me because of who, what I was doing and the sins that I was walking. I was in church on Sunday with my hands raised and on, on Wednesday, I was in L.A. sinning. And through this process of, 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 of growing in Christ, something radically changed my life. And it was three simple words. I love you. And it so rocked me to the core because I would get into the position and I, I, would, I would genuinely repent. And I was wanting to stop. I wasn't outwardly being hypocritical. And I... I sometimes struggle with that word because when a Christian sins, that doesn't make him a hypocrite. It makes him a sinner and a Christian and have a struggle. 
uh, hypocrisy has to be outwardly and, and on purpose to try to deceive. And I, I wasn't outwardly, purposely trying to deceive anybody. I was struggling. And I was learning how to walk with Christ. But I was crying. And, and some radical things in that first year of getting saved. I can remember that I would be just physically shaking and crying and saying, God, please, I want to change. Help me, God. Help me, God. And I was fighting and, and, and really crying out to God to deliver me and, and change my heart. And then I'd be in that room after sin and trying to ask God to, to do something terrible to me so we could be even and I could feel better about myself. And I would hear very clearly, I love you. You know what that feels like? Oh, it just cuts to the heart. There's nothing like it when you know how could God love me and yet check it out. He loves me anyways. He really loves me. God really loves me. You know what that does for your life? A lot more than heaven and hell. A lot more than the idea of something that you've never seen and you, you're not really sure what it's about. You know, when you've ever heard this analogy, when it moves 18 inches, there's a difference between heaven and hell from your mind to your heart. And that's what God was doing. I knew John 3.16. I had it memorized. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but everlasting life. But I knew it in my mind. I didn't know it in my heart. And you know, since, since I've, I've planted this church, one of my prayers for you guys because of what God did in my life is that, that you would hear God say, I love you. Because how radically it will change your life when you know that God loves you. And then it was years later and a pastor was preaching a certain verse and he was saying, you know what's crazy about God? Not only does He love you, He likes you. That was radical for me too. I was like, He could love me, but He probably doesn't like me. He probably wouldn't want to hang out with me. But he says, His Word says that He even likes you. He would love to hang out with you. And so, as we look at heaven today, I want to take, again, kind of both approaches, right? That heaven is to motivate us. It is to encourage us. It is to give us hope. You know, um, and sometimes, right, at, at funerals, this, this verse right here, 21, that I just read, Behold, I've, I've shared that verse with more people at funerals than any other verse in the Bible as an encouragement to them at a time of death. And, and really, for us, the Bible is, is very clear about the idea that there is a reward and we are going to go to heaven. And it is supposed to motivate us. I want to show you a couple as we get into the, get, get into Revelation 21 about heaven. But let's look at Hebrews chapter um, 11. And the first verse in number 8 is that Abraham, and, the, and, and this, this is Old Testament. This is a long time before Christ. And, and, and in this um, idea, even for Abraham, God was motivating him with the idea of heaven. And it says in verse number 10 of chapter 11, it says, For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. What city is that? That's the new Jerusalem, a new heaven and a new earth. And, and so Abraham waited for the city. And even though he sojourned, he lives in tents because he was looking for a city whose maker and builder was God. And that city is coming. And we are closer and closer and closer to it every day. You know, I talk about oftentimes that Jesus is coming soon. But, but do you realize whether you believe that Jesus is coming back in our lifetime or not, your eternity could be very soon. Anybody want to take a... Oh, no, I just threw a blank. Oh, I was going to ask you how many people a day die. And I looked it up and I wrote it down. And now the number is... I didn't write it down. 
Okay, that's a day, so that equals to about 160,000 a day. How many a year? 37 million, I think is what the number I had in my mind. 37 million people a year. But the good news is about 75 million people a year are being born. So we're growing. But, you know, whether, whether Jesus comes back or whether you slip on a banana peel, eternity could be that far away in your life. And then look at Hebrews 11. Let's turn to verse number 13. And, and what is the title? Do you have some titles in your Bibles there? What is the title over verse 13? The heavenly hope. So again, in context of what I'm talking about is that heaven is to motivate us. It is to give us the hope. We are to have a healthy hope in heaven. That it is a reward. That it is something to long for. And that when this world is beating us up, that, that we have this hope in heaven. You know, I, my hope in heaven is, is on steroids. It's actually the other way around. Like, I, I, I'm to the point now where I'm like, I'm kind of like, and it's in the Bible, so I, I can justify it, right? Because Paul said, for me to live, to live as Christ and to die as gain. He said that he, he struggles between wanting to be in this world and being home with Christ, which is far better. And, and, and again, I find myself at times just longing for heaven. And I know there's work to be done here. And I feel like sometimes it, it's just giving up. That's the easy way out. You know, any fool can die for Christ, but it takes a, a live person to live radically for Christ. That's much harder. Any, any, fish, any dead fish can float downstream, but it takes a live fish to swim upstream. But here we have this concept in the Bible repeated many times. I'm just highlighting a couple for you guys. But here it says in uh, Hebrews 11, in verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better. That is a, somebody? A heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. What is that city called? New Jerusalem. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse number 9, it says about heaven, but it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor have it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love Him. Listen, I don't want anybody to ever be bummed about going to heaven. I, have you guys ever heard that? Like, to me, the concept is crazy. But I've heard people say that. Like, I don't want to go to heaven. Or, I don't, heaven's going to be boring. Or, they have some misconcept of, of, of not wanting to be, be in heaven. Like, if you think anything in this world is better than what God has created for you and going to create for you in heaven, I don't understand it. You know, I know there's another idea, right? Like, you know who usually doesn't want Jesus to come back right away or is not ready for heaven? Young married people, unmarried people. Like, if they're engaged, like, I get it, right? I've talked to some guys, and they're like, can the Lord just wait until, like, after my honeymoon? I got some grace for that, right? Like, all right, I get it, you know? I, I, I talked to a, a woman this week, and I was encouraging her, too, and heaven was on the heart, I was encouraging her to heaven, and... She, she, was, she was saying, yeah, I'm so ready for heaven. And, and then she said, but you know, part of me just, I don't know if it's selfish, but I don't, I don't want Jesus to come right now because some of my kids are not walking with the Lord. And I understand that idea too, right? Like we don't, we don't heaven doesn't feel like heaven if those that we love the most aren't going to be there. 
And, and it is hard, right, when we think about wanting to be there, Jesus coming back, and maybe somebody we know is not ready. And we're like, Lord, we, we want you to come, but can this person get saved first? You know, and too, I want to encourage you guys, especially for prodigals. We have sons and daughters, family members that are not saved, that, 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 that all these things, again, they should motivate us to ministry. They should motivate us to prayer. They should motivate us to share in the gospel, to share in our faith. Because, because if people aren't ready, then, you know, when the Lord comes back, then we, we have this opportunity now to share the gospel with them. Back in, um, and then 2 Corinthians chapter 12, just a couple of notes, you guys, if you're note takers. But this is where Paul went to heaven and talking about the, the, how great heaven was. And Paul says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, this is 2 Corinthians 12:2. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows such a one was caught up into the third heaven. Now, let me just parentheses this really quick, really side note. Um, when, when Paul says here third heaven, some, um, there, there's three levels that the Bible talks about in heaven. And it's not celestial, terrestrial, and no, that, that concept doesn't even come from the Bible. Only two of those three are listed in the Bible anyways. The third one is arbitrary and it's made up. But the third heaven is, is that the first heaven is, is, is what we have here, what we could see. And then beyond that, we have the universe and the, where the stars are and, and outside of, of, you know, of our, what is it called, our atmosphere. And then um, where God dwells is, is the third heaven. And those are the three levels. Now, the third heaven could be anywhere, right? Because of dimensions, it could be right here. It could be among us. And when you go there, you change in, in location. Is, you, usually what's interesting, though, is everywhere in the Bible where it talks about heaven, it always talks about up. Heaven is mentioned in the Bible over 500 times. But, you know, it doesn't have a lot of detail of what it's going to be like. There. The idea, the concept, the word heaven is mentioned over 500 times in our Bible. But really, just a few, very few places does it actually tell us what heaven is going to be like. Number one, we just read a verse that tells us no matter what kind of description the Bible could give us, that it wouldn't do it justice anyways. And that the other thing is, if we really could grasp how amazing heaven is going to be, we'd all jump off a bridge to get there. And that's not God's will. God's will is that there's work to be done. But look what Paul says about it. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows such a one was caught up into the third heaven, and I, I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise. Now, the first time he calls it the third heaven, this time he calls it paradise, um, because technically Paul would not have seen eternal heaven, right? Because that doesn't happen until after the thousand years. God is still working on it. Behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth. The heaven that we have now is 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 somewhat corrupted because Satan fell from that heaven and God is going to do away with that and create a new one. So Paul would have even been um, in, in temporary heaven or in paradise. And listen to what he says, verse 4. And heard inexpressible words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Now, just kind of a pet peeve of mine. I hear pastors quote this verse sometimes and they say, the things that Paul saw... He said it was unlawful for him to share. Now, maybe, maybe it's inferred somewhere or he did see things. But technically, he never mentions what he saw in heaven. He only mentions what he heard. He said the things that he heard, it would be unlawful if I tried to repeat them. Because of this verse, many people, I, I'm not one of them, but I've, I, a lot of pastors I respect and people, they say, you know, they, they completely discount anybody's 
um, vision of heaven or when people say they had a near-death experience or they died and went to heaven or they, they saw a vision of Christ and, and they, they share something about heaven. They say, well, Paul wouldn't even share something about heaven. So they completely discount those, those, those stories. Now, I do, I do think, right, you've got you to gotta take it with a grain of salt. There was a, a really popular case about 20 years ago now, and it was the one, I don't remember the name of his book and his movie, but it was in a car accident. He died in a car accident. He was pronounced dead and then, like, ended up, like, I don't know, two weeks in ICU and ended up surviving it. And he shared that he went to heaven. He wrote a book. They made a bunch of money. And then 20 years later, he came out and he says he made the whole thing up. It was all a lie. And so you have that, and you want to take it with a grain of salt. But there was one recently, a couple of years ago, and it was the one about, I think it's called Heaven is for Real, the little boy. And, and here, here's the thing. There's another one, 23 Minutes in Hell. And it's, it's not about heaven, but it's about hell. But it's the same idea. Uh, it's a vision of hell. Whether you believe the actual account of the person who says they went there or not, it's irrelevant. Because you believe what the Word of God says. And so when they say something that is what the Word of God teaches and it's consistent with the Word of God, then, then we know it's true, not because of the vision, but because the Word of God already teaches it. And what was fascinating to me was this little boy, I think he was four or five years old at the time, everything that he said was biblical. Everything he said lined up with the Word. You couldn't find anything that was outside of the Word of God or outside of the thing. And then Paul did say, the things that he heard would be unlawful if he tried to repeat And Basically, he said, what that means is unlawful, like they're not going to take him to jail. What he's saying is that there, there's not words that I can put to it that would describe how amazing it is or what I saw. I, I couldn't only even try. It would be unlawful to even try because it would be so much better than anything I could describe. You know, that little boy in that um, heaven is for real, they drew a picture of the Jesus that he saw. And it's totally not traditional Jesus at all. He doesn't have long hair. He has short hair. He's clean-shaven, and, and someone had had like hard time with that. And I'm like, what's, what's the problem? You don't think Jesus could go to the barber and get a shave, cut his hair? You live for eternity. You might mix it up from time to time. Like, it, it, it's totally cool. Like, Jesus could, 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 could get with the times, you know? Maybe he'll wear skinny jeans for a season. I don't know. I'm sure he's got days on the whole time, though. But, but I, I love that. I love that picture of, of Jesus. You know, on the road to Emmaus, those two guys didn't recognize Jesus. I said, maybe that's because he shaved his beard and cut his hair. That's why they didn't recognize him. But, but again, when those stories are consistent, and, and again, you could take them with a grain of salt, but we know what the Word of God says. And then um, Paul wouldn't mention it, but I think if you take the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, we have multiple other people who did. Daniel had a scene in, he- in heaven, and he didn't have any problem telling us what he saw. John has multiple scenes in heaven, and he's constantly describing them. So it's not like Paul's not willing to say what he saw as the biblical precedent, because Daniel and John both had visions. Ezekiel um, had visions and shared what they saw. Can you imagine? You know what I'm looking forward to in heaven? I'm going to be able to remember everybody's name. And there's going to be like billions and billions of people, and I'm never going to have to ask them what their name is. Do you know the Bible says that every one of you are going to get your own unique name? There's not going to be a hundred Chris's in heaven and Tom's and, you know, Brian's, and it's going to be, um, you'll have your own specific name that, that, that fits who you are that God's going to give you a special name. All right, let's go back to Revelation 21. Um, that was all, by the way, a kind of intro. Spurgeon, 
uh, was a famous preacher in history. He was teaching his, his students on lectures to my students, and they were preaching. And he said, when you speak of heaven, he said, your face should light up with joy and enthusiasm. And he said, when you speak of hell, your normal face will do. All right. All right. Hey, so we walked through kind of the first six verses um, last week. Let's let's kind of pick it up. Actually, let's pick it up in verse number six. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes, everybody say overcomes, shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. So listen, you do have this um, call on your life to be an overcomer. Go back and read Revelation 2 and 3 and over and every, to every letter in every church, Jesus said to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes. Here in, in the context of heaven, he's talking about the overcomer. You know, the Bible says, do not grow weary in doing good. I've already talked about struggling with, you know, wanting to be in heaven as the Apostle Paul did. And as the Apostle Paul shared that he, he wanted to be in heaven with Christ because it was far better. But he understood there was work to be done here on the earth. And so we, we, we do have work to do. And I've put pressure on myself like, oh, I have to be an overcomer. I have to be an overcomer to qualify. And what does that mean? And what does that entail? Well, I want to let us off the hook. I, I kind of want to do both. I do want you to have... Um, a healthy respect and idea with this idea that we are to be overcomers. That, 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 that there's work to be done. And without getting into a theological debate with anybody in here about losing your salvation, I'll, I'll just say that where I'm at is that you can't lose your salvation, but you can walk away from it. You can renounce it. You, you can give it back. You can, you can renounce Christ. And we see that in the Bible. And so walking with the Lord and keeping no matter what, no matter when, no matter where, no matter why, that I'm going to serve the Lord. You know, one of the most important things in your Christian living is for you to decide today that no matter what happens to you tomorrow, that you're going to serve and trust Jesus. And if you'll do that, your life will go so much easier and so much better. You know, as a pastor, one of the things that I counsel is, you know, oftentimes, again, I just I just had it happen this recently and... This particular person was um, was was. Um, anyways, what he said was, "Ask your God," because of something that he was going through. And and I and I feel his pain. Understand where he's at. You know, kind of side note is that that I think he's close to coming to Jesus. You know, it's the people that are indifferent you got to worry about. People are, eh, 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 but. But the people that are close, they, 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 God's going to get a hold of his heart, and I'm praying for him. I'm praying for him hard. But, but he, he's just made a, a, a really classic mistake, a really trick of the devil. I watch, I watch my brother make the same mistake. But he, my brother-in-law, but he his brother, he told, he told us that if, if God takes his mom, he's not going to serve him anymore. She died from cancer. She died from pancreatic cancer. And I can remember talking to him and saying, "Man, what? You know, you, he said my mom's loved and." Serve Jesus her whole life. She, why would God take her? And he said, "I'm not going to serve God if He takes her." And I said, "Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? So you're going you're to serve Satan? You, you know enough. You grew up in the Lord. You know there's a heaven and a hell. 
And so because you, 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 you don't understand what God's doing, you're going to spend the rest of your eternity in hell where you won't get to be with her because she's in heaven. And just the simple of it. But, you know, I do understand that, um, you know, people feel that way. They, they, they struggle with that. I've watched Christians. And, and I share this, you guys, because I, I've, I've seen it destroy lives. I've, I've seen a Christian family that um, had a stillborn child and they, and they lost a the baby. And it was difficult. And they went through a season where they said they said these words, God has forsaken me. And and it's a very difficult thing. I think probably losing a child is, is one of the most difficult things in life to walk through. And God bless you guys if you've walked through it and if you've had to live through that. But in that moment, they just said, I'm done with God. God forsook me. And, and, and so God has not forsaken them. And we don't understand. And it's not supposed to be easy. And we don't understand the why. But don't throw away everything that we know about God for what we don't know. And what we don't know is why. But what we do know doesn't change, right? God loves you. God died for you. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus said, I think good thoughts towards you. I have a plan for your life to give you a future and a hope. That God is good. And so you decide today, no matter when, no matter where, no matter why, I'm going to serve the Lord. And you just put that in your bag. And, and, and you make that a part of your Christian living, that God is good. And that's a key foundation of Christian living is first in your walk is that God is good. And God's not a genie in the bottle you get a rub. He's a good, good Father. And hard things happen. In this life, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer because Jesus said, I've overcome the world. You know what this whole chapter 21 is about here? It's about God setting things the way that He always intended them. You know what God's original intent was for mankind? No fear. No years. No death. No dying. No disease. No sin. You know how it was before sin entered the world? What does the Bible say about Adam and God and their relationship? It says that God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. They spent time together as father and son, as friends, as they just fellowshiped in the cool of the day. That's God's intent for you and I. And that's what we're going to have in heaven. And that's God's original plan. And God is going to fix His original plan. And death is so hard because God never intended death. God's original plan was never for there to be death. And so death is hard. It can be hard. But there's a hope in heaven. Amen? Alright, so overcome real quick. Um, to those who overcome, I'm in verse 7. Hey, turn with me real quick to First John. He tells us exactly who the overcomers are. I want to encourage you with this. I'm not encouraging the message in this far, but. First John 5. First John 5, verse 4 and 5. It says, For whoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? So it's going to answer the question very point blank, immediately, no questions asked. When it says that we're to be overcomers, he's going to say, who are the overcomers? And then he's going to answer the question in verse 5. He, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So if you're born again, you're already an overcomer, praise God. You already have victory in Christ. So, so again, I, I think I want to leave a little bit of a healthy pressure on you to be an overcomer. But at the same time, there's no pressure on you because you're already an overcomer if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. The only way you don't overcome is if you die an unbeliever. 
if you die having not had your sins forgiven and washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. But we're all overcomers. Amen? And we should all be motivated to, to want to share the gospel in spite of that, right? All right, back to Revelation 21. I'm going to have to jam a little bit, you guys. I spent a lot of time on that. Uh, verse number 8. So the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars, all have their part in the lake which burns with fire. Hey, um, don't raise your hand or shout it out, but uh, how many of you guys are guilty of some of those sins listed in verse 8? Don't raise your hands and shout it out. I'll just do it for you. Double hands up. So how come I'm not going to hell? It says, it says, it says these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will have their place in the lake of fire. Listen, here's the difference, and the Bible's clear on it. You were once a sinner, you repented, your sins are washed in the blood. The Bible says those who practice such things, which basically means that you're living in, in, in a lifestyle of, of one of these sins in an unrepentant way. You're not repenting of it, you're not, you haven't been forgiven of it, you're walking out that in your lifestyle. If you are walking it out and it's unrepentant in your life, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. This list, or some version of this list, is mentioned seven times in the New Testament. So if it's repeated seven times in the New Testament, those who will not inherit the kingdom of God, you should, you should know that that's, that's true. And so here, here it's listed again. And I, 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 to me, it kind of it doesn't fit. The whole chapter is all encouragement. It's heaven, a new heaven, new earth, and all these wonderful things. And then yet, just this gentle reminder from the Lord Yet those who commit such sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's just a, a sobriety check for each one of us. Amen? Amen. So, the, again, if those sins are practiced or unrepentant, if you have them in your past, even if you have them in your future, and, and, and you've repented of them or will repent of them, so then in verse 9 it says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues, so this angel had double duty, he poured out one of the bowls and the plagues in the seven-year tribulation. Now he's coming to John, and he says, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. Nowhere are we called the wife. We're always called the bride. But here we're the wife. Why is that? Maybe because the marriage supper of the Lamb's already happened, and we've already been um, consummated, if you will, with our, with our groom, and that we've spent the, the wedding feast is completed. We spent the seven years with Jesus, and now we're the wife. And in verse 10 it says, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, or we say great city, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. You know, we, we go to um, Israel, and we lead Holy Land tours. It even says on our brochure, Holy Land tours. And I have people saying, Oh, I want to go to the Holy Land. And you know what it is? It's, it's the Holy Land because Jesus died there and rose in the history that's there and the Bible's there. But... Technically, it's not really the Holy Land today. There's places there you don't want to go out at night when we're in Jerusalem. Um, but it will be, the new Jerusalem will be the actual, the real Holy Land. Um, and that day is coming. In verse 11, it says, Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like jasper stone, clear as crystal. It's like a diamond color. And she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates. And the names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. How come in all those corny heaven jokes, Peter is always at the gate, whether letting you in or not? I don't even know where that comes from. That's not even like a, there's not even a Bible verse that kind of like alludes to anything like that. Here it says, there's twelve angels, and none of them are Peter. There was, uh, 
a bus driver and a preacher who died. And they go to heaven and Peter's there at the pearly gates. And um, Peter says to the bus driver, follow me, I'll take you to your mansion. And so they, the bus driver and the preacher are following Peter and they're walking down the streets of gold and the mansions are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And they get down the take a right couple streets and they do I mean the most palatial mansion you've ever seen in your life and um, St. Peter says to the bus driver there's your reward well done thou good and faithful servant and the bus driver goes in and Peter says to the preacher he says now let me take you to yours and they go back the way they came and down and the mansions are getting smaller and smaller and smaller and you know the preacher was excited when he saw the bus driver's mansion because he's like man if a bus driver got that I can't imagine what I'm going to get and so they're going, and pretty soon they come to this street, and there's a couple sticks laying on top of each other, you know, leaning towards each other. And Peter says, there's your mansion. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest. And the preacher's like, that's my mansion? It's like a bus driver got that, and I got this? Why is that? I'm a preacher, and he's a bus driver. And St. Peter said, well, he said, when, the, um, when you preached, people slept. And when the bus driver drove, people prayed. Those are the jokes, folks. So <laughs> you laugh, the day goes a little better. Should I try one more or should I just hang it up while, while I'm kind of ahead? All right, we'll keep going. We're out of time. All right, one more. You know, I had a vision, we'll say that. And I died, and I went to heaven, and St. Peter was there. And when I got there, the whole whole walls of heaven were just covered in clocks. And I was like, wow, Peter, what are those? And he said, well, those are sin meters. And I said, oh, wow. I said, oh, my gosh, there's uh, there's Rick's clock. It's like way moving around. I just had one, one hand on it. And I saw Pastor Dave's clock, and it was like at 2 o'clock. A couple, but not bad. And then I saw my wife's clock, and it was like 12 half of one, maybe one sin. And then I, I was looking around, and I didn't find mine. I said, Peter, where's my clock? And he said, oh, your clock, that's in my office. We use it for a fan. <laughs> All righty. So on the... On the 12 gates are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. That's a, that's, a, that's a cool study, too. We've done it here in our church before. Because the which 12 names are going to be listed, there's actually 14 different choices. Names are switched a little bit. The list. You remember Joseph became a tribe, and then Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Sometimes in the list, um, Dan is excluded, and Ephraim is listed. And, and so it's, it's interesting of the... But the, the, the 12 patriarchs will be listed there. And then in verse 13, it says three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles. So the names of the 12 patriarchs would represent all the, and, and, and the names of the 12 saints, all the saints throughout human history. The saints of the Old Testament, the patriarchs, the saints of the New Testament, represented by the disciples. Now, there, there are no new apostles since the 12 apostles of, of Jesus' day. We have people today that call themselves modern-day apostles, or they're an apostle this, apostle that, but that, that there's no, in the biblical precedence of apostle, they, there's no more after the 12. And one of the ways you know that is because their names are written on the 12 foundations of heaven. 
and there's not 13 foundations or 14 foundations, there's no more room to write any more um, names of apostles. Well, one thing we do know is that Judas Iscariot's name is not going to be listed because Judas Iscariot betrayed the Lord. In Acts chapter 1, the disciples tried to replace Judas by drawing lots, and they drew lots on a guy by the name of Matthias. But nowhere else in the Bible do you, do you hear anything of Matthias other than that chapter. So many people believe that the reason is because the disciples jumped the gun a little bit and that God called Paul, and Paul calls himself an apostle um, in the Bible, and so that Paul was the one that was to replace Judas, and that's why you don't hear Matthias. Others say, no, they picked Matthias, he's the one. So either we'll know the 11 names, the last name will either be Paul or Matthias. So we'll mention the 12 names on there. And then it says in verse um, 15, And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. It's, and he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 140 cubits, according to the measure of man that is in of an angel. You know, we have the measurements in the Bible of Noah's Ark, for example. And, and, and Noah's Ark, you know, they say, would all the animals fit? And when you do the dimensions, they've actually built it now, life-size in Kentucky. Um, I'm going to go there. I haven't visited yet. And, uh, Lydia and I are going to go in August this year to the Ark. But there's enough room that you could fit boxcars, train boxcars from California to New York inside the Ark. Well, here in, in heaven, it, this is massive, the size of heaven. It's a cube. It's 1,500 miles squared, so every side is 1,500 miles across, high, and deep. And then it says, so it's, it's, it's 12,000 furlongs, but that's roughly 1,500 miles, not exactly. So that's 2,250,000 square miles. There's 640 acres per square mile. Um, and then the other thing about heaven, so roughly it's the size of the moon is this city, New Jerusalem. So now, again, I, I, I don't understand other than what it says, because, again, the Bible already tells us that heaven is going to be so magnificent we won't wrap our minds about it. But what it's describing is a new heaven and a new earth. So the earth that we have now and all of its glory and all of its fabulousness, God is going to redo a new heaven. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And I've heard somebody say that Jesus has been gone now for 2,000 years. He created this um, heaven and earth in six literal days. What could he do in 2,000 years? It's going to be bad to the bone. So you have earth, and we'll have all the free run of earth, and anything you want to do, you like to hunt and fish, and all of those things, and explore and climb, and all those things, you have earth. And then on top of the earth, there's a new city that's going to come down in the shape of a cube that's 1,500 by 1,500 by 1,500. Um, if it landed on the earth where it is today, it would, it would fill about the western half of the United States, from Canada to Mexico, from about Kansas to the east coast. And so, and 1,500 miles high. But one of the things that we're limited to here on earth, that we won't be in heaven, it seems that we live on the surface of the earth. But if we didn't just live on the surface, if we lived on all the dimensions of New Jerusalem, completely massive, if we lived in the, in the city and in these dimensions, in this cube, maybe the earth we still live on the surface of the earth, but in New Jerusalem. So one of the um, biblical scholars at Liberty University, he did the math and he said from Adam and Eve to today, he estimated there's between 80 and 100 billion people that have been on planet Earth. So if you take 25% of those, that would give you 20 billion. 
the parable of the sower in the Bible, a quarter of the people in that parable get saved. But then, then so I've heard people say that, well, a quarter of the people are going to get saved through the parable of the sower. But in the parable of the ten virgins, 50% were ready and, and, and 50% were not. So now we have another number in the Bible, 50. I don't know what the percentage of people on planet Earth that have gotten saved or, or not. But if, let's just take the conservative number at 25% of the 80 billion, that's 20 billion people. So 20 billion people in this square footage, each person in heaven would have 75 acres. And that's only using one quarter of, um, of heaven. So the, the whatever is there, mountains and streets and places, just using one-fourth of the size. So you multiply that by four, um, you'd be 300 acres. Each person, 20 billion people, would have up to 300 acres of space in New Jerusalem. And that's just New Jerusalem that sits on top of the earth. So it's not a matter of space. You're going to have plenty of space. And if you don't like people... You'll be all right. You can stay all alone, all by yourself. Although you're going to be redeemed and you're going to like people in heaven. They're going to like you too. Um, we, we, we're, we're almost done, you guys. Then he measured its wall. Verse 18. And the construction of his wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold like, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper. The second was sapphire. Sapphire, the third was Chalcedony, the fourth Emerald, the fifth Sardix, the sixth Sardius, the seventh Chrysolite, the eighth Beryl, the ninth Topaz, the tenth Chrysophrase, the eleventh Jacinth, and the twelfth Amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the city and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. So how do you have pure gold that's that see-through like glass? I don't know. You have a problem with God doing something like that? It's heaven. Just think of the, the colors in heaven. And here's a cool thought about heaven, too. Well, we in, in our color spectrum, there's basically three basic colors. And from that, we get millions of different colors. And though, if you just added, if the Lord just added one new color to the color base, imagine what the colors of heaven could be like. And then, and then Jesus said, I am going to prepare a place for you. So what, what would your heaven be like? Maybe when you get there and you say, Lord, I'm like, for me, it's like, I love water. Like, I want to be by a river and some mountains, snow capped with waterfalls on them. And I get there and it's everything. And my favorite flowers and exactly what I would have imagined my heaven to be like or everything that I would have wanted. And the Lord says, I said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And so maybe even in your individual space, it's specifically designed for your your pleasure and the way that you would want it and like it. Amen? Alright, and then um, it says in verse 22, but I saw no temple. Everybody say no temple. And we are done, you guys. Just give me two minutes. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it. For the glory of the Lord illuminated it. So just the light of, of God just illuminates the new heaven and the new earth. And there's and the Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day and night. And there shall, or by day, and there shall be no night. No night in heaven. I like naps, man. I like to sleep. Guess we all need to sleep in heaven. And who, who's in here on the safety ministry from our church? You'll have no job in heaven. Because there's no need for a safety team. They never close the gates. 
Jesus ain't going to have any problem with security in heaven. And with no sin and, and righteousness prevailing, the gates will never close. And then in verse 26, And they shall br- bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You can close your Bibles, but last two points is that, you know, this list of these gates, it says the gates were each made of one pearl. And all the, the, the 12 stones that are listed, the high priest would wear the linen ephod and then the stones that were there. And eight, eight of them are the same as the ones in the high priest. A couple are different. And all this glory, streets of gold and, and, and all these things. But you know, there's no value in any of those things. The value in heaven is that Jesus is there. And that there's no temple there. And that God will be with His people. And God will be um, our God. And we will be His children. The glory of the Lord will light it up. There will be no need for the night or the sun or the moon. And anything in this world that's valuable, it won't be valuable in heaven. You hear about the guy who, who carried a bag of gold with him to heaven and he got to the pearly gates and, and St. Peter was there. He's like, what you got in the bag? And the guy's like, well, I brought some gold with me. Peter's like, why would you bring asphalt to heaven? Nothing that's valuable here. Those things are not valuable. But you know what will be valuable in heaven? relationships. People that you led to Jesus that are going to be there, that are going to be appreciative of you for all eternity because you shared your faith with them, there's going to be value in that. He's talking about this big bling you guys like now, and you got these crowns and these big bling and asphalt in heaven. But somebody who walks up to you in heaven and says, hey, I'm here because you shared your faith with me. That has eternal value. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. I kind of went a little long, so we're not going to be able to finish with a worship song, but we do want to be uh, able to pray for you. Um, I believe the prayer prayer uh, room will be open today, so when you leave out of here, if you make a left, if you'd like individual prayer or counsel or something, prayer ministry will be there to pray for you and talk to you. Uh, Pastor Dave and Shannon will be around. Pastor Josh is here. Grab somebody if you'd like individual prayer. So uh, let's close our eyes, bow our heads. You know, it says only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life will go to heaven. And so it's just a real simple question to ask yourself. Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? And if your answer is, I think so, or I hope so, you might be in trouble. Your answer has to be, yes, I know so. That my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life by faith, right? You're saved by faith, through grace, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that not of yourself, lest any man boast. And so it's a simple prayer. But your name has to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And if you're in here today and you're just not sure, or, or maybe it's not even that. It's maybe just that you, you want to give your life to Jesus. You want to ask God to forgive you of your sins. You want to welcome Jesus to be a part of your life. I'm going to encourage you guys to pray with me. And I want to pray for you. And I encourage you to pray this prayer out loud. To ask Jesus to come into your life, which then will write and put your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I believe that Jesus died on a cross and rose again the third day. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I give you my life. I surrender all. Thank you for writing my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. 
In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Love you guys. Have a great week.